So the book of the book of Philippians is all about quitting your flip-flopping and getting your joy in Jesus. And last week, uh, in our journey throughout the book of, through the book of Philippians, I shared that Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, is a great verse, or are great verses for us to memorize, because um, they serve as a great conversation starter for us with our Lord. And it's a wonderful help for us to know how to pray for other people. So I would still encourage you to memorize Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And these verses show us what a joy that overflow looks like. And I talked about how Paul lays it on thick with, a, with this triple chocolate love that he prays that this love may abound more and more. And we also looked at a lady who's name was Corrie Temboom, who was a great example of that love and how she extended um, grace to a guard in a concentration camp where her sister was humiliated and killed. I then explained that knowledge and discernment, far from being Paul's attempt to limit the love, actually become fuel for the fire of love. And I explained that if all we have in our lives are declarations of love, then that love will run out. We need something more. But if we can keep this, this fire of love fueled by knowledge and discernment, then it keeps on burning and burning and burning. So knowledge and discernment takes our love for God to a whole other level. And as we get to know God, knowledge, we learn how to please him more every day, which is discernment, which results in a deeper and a richer love. And then I shared, and then I finished the message by sharing how as Christians, we're called to use knowledge and discernment when engaging with our culture. As Canada moves further, further and further away from biblical values, And as tolerance becomes the new ultimate ideal, Christians are called to do two things. Number one is to love outrageously, and number two is to tell the truth courageously. We need both. And this is what a love that overflows looks like, a love that abounds more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Now let's turn to verse 12 of Philippians chapter 1. Verse 12 of Philippians chapter 1 says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. And the latter do out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Everyone say amen. 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 So Paul moves from this glorious prayer in verses 9 to 11 straight on to explaining why what has happened to him is happening. And in one commentary it says this, when Paul says what has happened, and you can read that in verse 12, I want you to know brothers that what has happened. So when Paul says what has happened, one commentator says, he could be referring to everything that's taken place from Jerusalem to Rome. And this could include a riot, 
a two-year imprisonment in Caesarea, an appeal to Caesar, the threat on his life, a shipwreck on the way to Rome, his house arrest with, with restricted freedom, and his impending trial. And so whether Paul is speaking of all these events, or whether he's just speaking about his present situation in Rome, one thing is clear, it has served to advance the gospel. End of quote. But in the letter itself, notice that he doesn't get into the details of what has happened. Instead, he spends his time explaining the reason why these events took place. So for Paul, the why is much more important than the what. How many times have we heard people say, or have you said yourself, God, why did you let this happen to me? Or to him? Or to her? Or to them? And this is a legitimate question. And sometimes we have to wrestle through questions like this. But here, Paul finds himself in the place where he's able to say, I know why you let this happen to me. Paul is clear about the reasons behind the circumstances that have conspired against him. And that reason is God. God is advancing the gospel. And Paul is part of his strategy. This is why we don't find Paul languishing in a jail cell. Instead, we find Paul in this jail cell encouraging his brothers and sisters over in Philippi. So can you imagine with me this group in the Philippian church all gathered around Epaphroditus as he returns from his transcontinental trip to see Paul in jail? And as around him, they're asking Epaphroditus, how is Paul? How has he been kept? How's his morale? Is he being treated okay? Is he in despair? How can we encourage him? And in response, Epaphroditus carefully takes out Paul's letter and starts reading. And what the Philippians discover as they listen to this letter being read is that far from being dejected and in despair and needing encouragement, Paul is actually all about encouraging the church at Philippi. Which is why he says in 1 verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I want you to know, brothers, this is what he says. So the first thing on his mind is dispelling any notion that they may have that he's languishing in a jail cell, hardly keeping it together. Because from the outside looking in, it may look like this traveling church planter is sidelined. That his gifts are being wasted in this jail cell. But Paul knows much, much better. Paul is on fire. Paul is still on mission. He knows why he's there to advance the gospel. Paul sees this him being in prison as a strategic maneuver on God's part. God has deployed his soldier into enemy territory. And yes, God had to sneak him in there as a prisoner, but God has given Paul his marching orders, and Paul is obeying. It's like the veil has been drawn back from Paul's eyes, and he's not only looking at the physical reality, but he can somehow see the spiritual truth behind the physical reality. Because others see chains But Paul sees a pulpit. Others see a gag. But Paul sees a microphone. Others see God's greatest apostle being prematurely put out to pasture. But Paul sees an incredible opportunity. 
Others see a weak God who couldn't keep his greatest apostle from being arrested. But God sees, but Paul sees an almighty God who has Paul exactly where he wants him. And I cannot express to you how important Paul's insight into this situation is. Because what this means for us is that our circumstances never, ever, ever have the final say. There's always the potential for the realization of a deeper reality. The world tells us what it sees is going on. But we need to get a second opinion from God himself to find out what really is going on. So, when we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are imprisoned for the sake of the gospel, when we pray for Christians who are in seniors' homes or who are maybe disabled or who are not, or, or who are not able to look after them or who find themselves in a dead-end job, maybe in addition to praying that God changes their circumstances, we should all start praying that God shows them how he wants to advance the kingdom, and the gospel through them where they are. I'm not talking about praying that God comforts them so that they can somehow get through what they're going through. I'm talking about praying for them that they will so be on mission and so purpose-filled and so pregnant with the reality that God is working his purposes through them and so convinced that God does not make mistakes in deploying his troops and so in love with the message of the gospel that they aren't just scraping by or limping along but they're encouraging others with these words i want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel and i think that so many christians struggle with joy because maybe they've not apprehended the truth that perhaps God has allowed them to be where they are in order to advance the gospel. Now, I'm far from saying that God is responsible for every bad thing that happens to us. Not at all. But what I am saying is, in ways we cannot comprehend, that God is working out his purposes for his good and for our glory. And this is what he's doing with Paul. This is what Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 is all about. And let's not imagine for one moment that Paul is under some cushy sentence where he's just floating through his trials with an inane grin on his face. None of us would want to switch places with Paul. Paul is under arrest by the world's greatest empire of the time who were renowned for their cruelty and their brutality in dealing with their enemies. Crucifixion, anyone? In fact, I want you to listen to these words that I read from a guy called J.D. Walt on Facebook. And And there's a moment where maybe he moves towards the line of what's acceptable to say on a Sunday morning in church, but I think it's worth repeating. Don't worry, I'm not going to swear. And this is what this guy, J.D. Walt, says. You're all listening now, right? Good. He says, we should probably mention at this point that Paul is not writing a wispy postcard from somewhere on the beach. Paul is in a Roman prison. Grace and peace would, grace and peace would seem to be the last thing on Paul's mind in the crap storm that had become his life. Paul is not getting his zen on. He's not finding a transcendental meditative calm in the eye of the storm. End of quote. 
So let's not romanticize Paul's situation or somehow try to make it more palatable than it was. This is not a sitcom where everything gets resolved in 30 minutes. Paul was looking ahead to his probable execution. And so Paul had to dig deep in order to find this truth that God has him in this prison for a real, for a real purpose. And the only thing that mattered to Paul, as we read in Philippians 1 verse 12, is that the gospel is advanced And if we grab this awesome truth, if we truly apprehend it, if we grab hold of it and squeeze out every ounce of meaning from it, then we are living a life that matters, a life that has eternal value and purpose. And knowing this, knowing that we are on mission for the advancement of the gospel, this will enable us to go through any amount of suffering with joy and with purpose. I sincerely believe this. Even though at this moment I am untested in this, I've never had to reach through the deep darkness and cloud of my circumstances to find that God's hands are there. I've not had to suffer like Paul has suffered or like the martyrs have suffered or even like you have suffered maybe. Yet I count on this truth because it's written in the Bible that we can have meaning and purpose in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. All we need to do is to pray this prayer God, I don't know why you have me where I am right now. But Lord, whatever has happened to me, make it serve to really advance the gospel. Like I just said, on a global scale of pain and suffering, I'm untested. But let me share with you someone who has been tested. On June the 30th, 1967, a teenage girl went with her sister to a beach on the Chesapeake Bay and she suffered a diving accident that rendered her quadriplegic. Her name is Joni Erickson Tada. And I remember reading Joni's, Joni's biography when I was a child and being blown away by the amount of suffering that this teenager had to endure, but also how she came through it with an incredible love for God and a sense of purpose. Listen to the purpose that Joni, in her own words, attributes to her suffering, her pain, and her paralysis. These are Joni's words. God does not remove the hardships. He allows them. He purposes them. He plans them. He ordains them. He permits them. And pain and problems and paralysis become the lemon that he kept squeezing in my life, revealing all sorts of things from which I needed to repent all the bitterness and the spitefulness and the selfishness. And I don't like it when God squeezes like that, but I need it. Search me, O God, and show me the sin of which I am capable of. And then she goes on to say, my disability, even until this day, so many years later, is still squeezing me, revealing the not-so-pretty stuff of which I am made. Last weekend marked the 50th anniversary of the accident that left Joni paralyzed. And Joni has since gone on to lead an international ministry. She advocates for those who have disabilities. She's a sought-after speaker. She's a best-selling author. And she's a radio host. Joni is someone who has lived out this prayer. God, I don't know why you have me where I am right now. But Lord, whatever has happened to me, make it really serve to advance the gospel. She's lived it. And God is calling you to be this type of person as well. 
James chapter 1 verse 12 says this, Blessed is the man who who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let's move back to Philippians chapter 1 verse 13. In verse 13, Paul doesn't leave us in the dark um, as to how the gospel has been advanced from his suffering and from his imprisonment. He gives us actually two really clear ways that the gospel has advanced. Number one, through relocation. Paul's suffering has communicated the gospel to non-Christians. So number one is relocation. Number two is through inspiration. That Paul's suffering has instilled confidence in his fellow Christians. So Paul, so Paul sees that the gospel has advanced through relocation and through inspiration. He's been relocated and he's inspiring others. And I've already explained that Paul doesn't view himself as having been sidelined. He views himself as a soldier who has been, been deployed. He's been relocated. His mission field is now the prison where he finds himself. And it is this attitude that inspires fellow Christians and touches the unsaved. Paul says in verse 13, It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. As one commentator explains, the imperial guard, or the praetorium, consisted of 9,000 hand-picked soldiers who were honored with double pay, with good pensions, and with special duties. Among their not-so-special duties was that of guarding imperial prisoners by an attached chain. So Paul experienced a shuffle of soldiers manacled to him. And the gospel effect, this commentator writes, the gospel effect was exponential as soldier after soldier was chained to him in successive watches. They heard the gospel directly from Paul's conversation. Uh, they heard the gospel both, both directly and from Paul's conversations with his visitors. My imagination, says this writer, hears the apostle's silent prayer as a new soldier is chained to him. Thank you, Jesus. Here's another one for me to tell about you. End of quote. What an encouraging image that Paul the captor, or Paul the captive, discovered that in his captivity he had a captive audience. And he was never one to pass upon an opportunity like this. And we know that Paul's strategy bore fruit. How do we know this? Because the same commentator says this. Ironically, or or sublimely, Paul's imprisonment brought the gospel to the very heart of of secular political power in Rome. As to how many believed, we do not know. But we do know that the gospel was preached among the Praetorian Guard and that some believed How do we know that? Because Paul closes the book of Philippians, this letter, by saying in chapter 4, verse 21, Greet greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And who could not be encouraged? that's, That's the end of quote. Who could not be encouraged by hearing this account? The local church was encouraged and fellow Christians were inspired to fearlessly preach the gospel. But why is this? Why does the reading of a Christian's suffering inspire the church to greater faithfulness in the gospel? Why is the account of 
paraplegia inspiring? Why is reading the account of Helen Rosevier's return to the Congo after having been raped by a soldier there so moving? What is it about the account we heard last week about how Corrie Ten Boom could extend grace to that Ravensbrook guard in 1947? Why are these accounts so inspiring? Open Doors USA uh, reports these statistics. Each month, 322 Christians are killed for their faith. 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed. And 772 forms of violence are committed against Christians, including beatings, rapes, abductions, arrests, and forced marriages. So here's the crazy question. Why does, why does reading these numbers inspire Christians to service instead of chasing them away? Why is it that so many Christians are called to the mission field through hearing about the hardship of other missionaries? Why are there so, so many Christians serving in closed countries like Saudi Arabia? Why are there Muslims converting to Christianity when they know that if they're found out, it's going to cost them their lives? Think about it. When I read that, that there were 22 Coptic Christians who were executed by ISIS in Egypt just a couple of months ago after having refused to say the, the Islamic creed, why is it that the overwhelming feeling I get, more than sadness, more than anger, more than indifference, is one of solidarity and pride? In April 2017, a Malaysian pastor, Raymond Koh, was abducted by Islamic extremists. And this isn't against, um, against Muslims at all. These are just the, the, the now accounts which I'm sharing. And in fact, if you go onto the internet, you can watch a video which I've seen of the abduction taking place. And I know people who know Pastor Raymond Koh. And it's, it's really chilling watching this happen. And he's not been heard of since. And I cannot imagine what he's going through if he's indeed still alive. And I don't know, I can't imagine what his family are going through. But when I read about this kind of thing, it doesn't make me want to abandon the faith. Instead, it makes me want to be counted worthy. When I read about Malaysians sharing their faith in a country that's hostile to the message of the gospel... When Wendy shared with me about the time she got to visit with a Filipino congregation in the desert of the United Arab Emirates. When I hear about churches being, being, being burnt by, by uh, extremists in Sri Lanka. When I find out that regular folks like you and me are giving their entire lives to translate the scriptures in, in spiritually and physically and socially demanding situations. It makes me wonder, what am I afraid of? What have I got to lose if I give someone a New Testament and say, this book changed my life? Why not invite someone to church in the park on August the 20th? Why not make my life about something great and magnificent? There's a singer-songwriter called Sarah Groves who explains this, what I feel um, perfectly in a song that she wrote upon returning from her first time to, Ru to Rwanda. And this song says this, I saw what I saw and I can't forget it. I heard what I heard and I can't go back. I know what I know 
and I, and I can't deny it. Something on the road cut me to, to, to the soul. And then she writes this, your pain has changed me. Your dreams inspire. Your face a memory. Your hope a fire. Your courage asks me, what am I afraid of? And what I know of love. And this is why, when the church heard about Paul's imprisonment, that far from causing them to seek shelter or to hide away or to seek safety, it drove them out into the open, ready to share the good news of sins forgiven with the pagan world. And this is why Paul draws a direct connection between his imprisonment and the boldness of Christians who heard about it. Because they started to ask themselves, what am I afraid of? These people understood that that they only have one life. And they would rather have it burn out brightly for a short time than peter out over many years. So, do you want to increase your boldness? Are you tired of your fear? Perhaps you've never once shared the gospel with another human being. You've never once shared your story because it's so frightening. Well, let me give you a bit of advice. Your courage needs to be stirred. And the best way for you to stir your courage is to become aware of what the Christians have gone through throughout the ages, the martyrs, and to read what Christians are going through even now. Read Voice of the Martyrs. Go to the Open Doors website. Read the book From Jerusalem to Irian Jaya, which is a history of missions. Watch the series Torchlighters on Right Now Media. And these stories, I guarantee you, will pump life into your faith. These stories will give you courage. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill and so on. Well, no, in fact, I'll read it. It says, The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So what is he talking about? Well, it appears that some local preachers were threatened by Paul's rock star status. So, Because here's the guy who God used more than anything to give birth to the early church. And now he's in Rome, stepping on the turf of local pastors and preachers. People are lining up to visit him in jail, and people are talking about him uh, before the church service starts. And maybe the, uh, the pastors and preachers start preaching the gospel to show that they're as good as Paul. They can do it as well. He isn't so special. Maybe they view it as a bit of a spiritual urinating contest. And as one commentator worded it, these preachers were petty, territorial, calculating, and focused on self-promotion. And we all know people like this. Those who were afflicted with the big fish in a small pond-itis. And Paul could have gotten eaten up by it all. He could have railed against them in his cell. He could have yelled a, 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 a about the unfairness of it all, but instead he laughs it off and says, if my presence here and their fear of me is causing them to preach the true gospel, then praise God. You see, Paul already knew that God had used the machinations of the Roman justice system to bring him to Rome so that he could preach all day, every day to a bunch of Roman soldiers and bring a mini revival to Caesar's household. And because he knew this, Paul also understood that his mighty, sovereign, all-powerful God could also use 
the petty motivations of some small-minded pastors for his glory. It's not a big deal. I'm sure that if Paul was out of jail, he'd have given them a good talking to. But because he was locked up, he resisted the urge to stew over this. And instead, he rejoiced with God that at least the gospel was being preached. And so Paul utters these immortal words. Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Instead of what then, you could read, so what? Who cares? Or as it says in the message, every time one of them opens his mouth, Christ is proclaimed and so I cheer them on. So what we've learnt today is that joy in Jesus brings confidence. A confidence that is not mere bravado, but trusts implicitly that God is working out his purposes here on earth. A confidence that says, Lord, show me how what has happened to me can advance the gospel, redeem this situation, bring some God-glorifying good out of the terrible circumstances I find myself in. But that was Paul. That was then. What about now? Who can we look to to inspire us? Let us listen to the story of Hei Wu. It wasn't long ago that I had the privilege of spending some time with a, a remarkable lady called Hei Wu. She's North Korean. 70 years old and hands down one of the most energetic people I've ever met. But Haywoo's life has been full of trauma. In 1997, in the midst of a great famine in North Korea, Haywoo's daughter, in her mid-twenties, starved to death in her own home. Heiwoo's husband escaped to China. He found God. But sadly, he was caught by the secret police. And six months later, he died in a North Korean prison camp. Heiwoo said to me, I was shocked to hear that my husband had become a Christian. But instinctively, I knew that he had found the truth. It wasn't too long after this that Hei Wu herself escaped to China and, like her husband, through a series of events, became a Christian. And as she spent time thinking back over her faith, she came to the realisation that her mother, who had died a few years ago, had been a secret believer. And she said to me that one of the deepest regrets of my life was that I was never able to share my faith with my mum. A few years after this, Heiwu was caught by the secret police. She was repatriated to North Korea and placed into a prison camp. As she told me this story, she said to me, I was lucky. I was only sentenced to a few years, despite the fact that I was Christian. As I spent time talking with Hei Wu about life in these prisons, and she told me stories of death so rampant 
The bodies would lay on the ground for three or four days without being cleaned up. Stories of mental and physical abuse that would make you sick to the pit of your stomach. I couldn't help but wonder, what is it about people like Hey Wu that, that makes them risk everything for the privilege of being in a relationship with Jesus? But more than that, what would I risk for the same privilege? You see, in the middle of one of the darkest places on earth, Heiwu chooses to do something so radical, so dangerous, and so Christ-like. She said to me that in the middle of this prison, God gave her a heart to evangelize, a heart to tell my fellow prisoners about Jesus. And so right here in the middle of a North Korean labor camp, a secret fellowship, a secret church begins. I asked Heiwu to tell me more about this church, more about what it looked like. And she said to me, I didn't have a Bible and I knew very little, but but I would share with them the verses that I knew. We would meet in the pit toilets, the most horrible place within the camp, a place where guards would not even go because of the smell. And she said, as we met there, we would pray and we would recite Bible verses and we would sing hymns of worship and praise to God. It's absolutely incredible. You know, I was recently asked one of those questions that stays with you for weeks, one of those questions that kind of reverberates around your mind and captures your every thought. You see, someone asked me, if Jesus Christ walked the earth today, would you follow him? You see, Jesus Christ was radical. The way he spoke, the way he taught, every single thing he did was radical, but absolutely incredible. You know, this idea of this smiling, happy Jesus that kind of, he gives you everything, but calls you to nothing, it just doesn't sit right. It's stories like Hei Wu and, and other people who are regularly persecuted for their faith that brings a perspective unlike anything else. People who obediently, selflessly, and courageously follow Jesus. Hei Wu had a church in a place so putrid that no one dare go near them. Inside a prison, where if caught, you would be tortured and killed without exception. What's your response to that? You see, we serve Jesus Christ, the Saviour of the world, and a radical. And our response to that should be to uncompromisingly unashamedly 
and passionately follow him, whatever the cost. So, why did I show you that video about Hei Wu? Simple. Paul encouraged his hearers by demonstrating to them that joy was possible, whatever the situation. Paul's goal from writing from a prison cell was to encourage the church to a deeper love of the gospel and a greater confidence in sharing it. Paul demonstrated through his incarceration that the gospel is not bound or limited. The message of the cross will continue changing lives, whether in a prison cell in Rome or labor camp toilets in North Korea. And so for those of you who don't yet know Jesus, what I know is that he's placing people in your path and across your, in your life and across your path in the most unlikely circumstances to demonstrate to you that he has you in his crosshairs. He wants to rescue you from a life of sin and has already provided the means, the cross of Jesus. He's inserting messengers of hope, Christian believers, into your life to demonstrate that you can be free if you trust in him to rescue you from your sin and shame and if you submit to him as as your kind and loving master. Only Jesus can provide the fresh start and new life that you need. And for the Christians here, what I want you to know is that what has happened to Hei Wu really served to advance the gospel. And in hearing Hei Wu's story, my prayer is that we would become confident in the Lord by hearing about her imprisonment. And that we, the people in this room or the people listening online, would be much more bold to speak the word without fear. And that's why you need to hear Hei Wu's story. That's why the people at Philippi needed to hear Paul's story, to give them a joy that brings confidence. And so may we live lives inspired by the true and inspiring accounts of Christians around the world and through time who gave what they could not keep to keep what they could not lose. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that uh, you would rock our world, that you would uh, reestablish our priorities. Uh, Lord, that those of us um, who are lost at this moment, who don't know what true life is, Lord, would find true life in you through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, those of us who um, suffer from memory loss, those of us who repeatedly um, stop recalling who we are and what we have been called to, I pray that you would refresh our memories. And I I count myself in that. Lord, that uh, we would see you as, as infinitely lovely and infinitely wonderful and infinitely worthy. That, Lord, whatever we sacrifice, we would count it as joy. In Jesus' name, amen.